0: We have been going through the book of Ephesians. Um, At Jacob's Well, we think it's very important to go straight through the Bible to teach it verse by verse uh, so that we don't just pick and choose what we want to learn from God. And So we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we're at a point where Paul launches into a prayer for the Ephesians. And so we've been taking uh, five weeks to look at that prayer. And we started by looking at the foundation of Paul's prayer and how the foundation of Paul's prayer... Is motivation for our prayer that would create a passion in our prayer life. And some of the truths that we saw are very important. One is that God is big, that He can carry us through the difficult times in life. Also, that we are small, that we do indeed need God, no matter how big we think we are. We absolutely need God, so we must depend on Him in prayer. We also saw that God is our Father, that He's Dad, that we can go to and talk to Him because He loves us and He cares for us, and so we go to Dad when we pray. We also saw that God has no budget, that God, there's no extent to His riches, that He can answer any and every prayer that you have. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's later, but it's never because he can't do it. And so God always answers according to his love. Last week, we started looking at the content of Paul's prayer, that we would be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would flourish in our heart. And this week, we're going to continue looking at that. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. It's printed in your bulletin, uh, in the center column on the bottom. We're actually going to be preaching from the New International Version this morning. Because some of the word choices it makes. But uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. And if you're new at Jacob's, well, you'll need to keep that out because we go back to it often throughout the sermon. So let's look. Let's read together. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read 14 through 19, but we'll focus mostly on verse 17 through 19 today. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, And long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we read this prayer of Paul, we know it's his prayer for us as well as his prayer for Christians throughout time, God. Lord, as we mine the depths of the riches of your scripture, we trust that it's true, God, and we pray that it would transform our lives, that we would find more delight in you, that we would cherish you more, that we would surrender more of our life to you for your glory and for our enjoyment. In Christ's name, amen. I thought it was appropriate to start our one-year anniversary with a poem entitled, The Perfect Church. It is... Did somebody laugh? I heard laughing. It's by some guy named Anonymous, and um, I found it on the internet. And this is this is how it goes. It's called the Perfect Church. I think I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be—a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deep. And none is proud, and all are meek. Where gossips never peddle lies, or make complaints or criticize. Where all are always sweet and kind, and all to others faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still we work, and pray, and plan, to make our own the best we can. If this is your first time at Jacob's Well, there's something you should know. This is not the perfect church. You may have already figured that out, but it is not the perfect church. There are lots of people at Jacob's Well that struggle with different things in their life, like anger and rage, with addictions, with frustrations. They, they wrestle with impatience. This is, this is not the perfect church. And so if you're looking for the perfect church... We want to thank you for visiting, enjoy the barbecue, and good luck on your journey. And we'll see you again in about a year. This is not the perfect church, nor does it have the perfect pastor. The pastor is a pastor who struggles with pride, who struggles with arrogance, who struggles with judgmentalism, who struggles with a full list of sins. And so we are by no means a a perfect church. But on our best day, because the Word of God says so, our goal is to be perfect. Jesus actually mentioned this in Matthew. He says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so our goal is not attainable this side of heaven, but our goal is perfection. Our goal isn't just to take out one of one or two of our most uh, awful, most ashamed sins. It's to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect so that we would ooze out His character, His holiness, His love, His gentleness, His patience, His joy. But all and, uh, we ooze out other things on those who are closest to us, on our family, on our friends, on those that we love. We ooze out things like anger and frustration and jealousy and self-control. And those are things that we struggle with and it oozes out of our pores. And so Paul is encouraging us today. To be perfect as God is perfect. It's here in verse 19. If you could read along with me the second half of verse 19. He prays that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's saying, I am praying that you would be filled to the brim with God. That your life, that your heart, that your character will be filled to the brim with God. That He would encompass all of your life. And so the question is, how do we... As imperfect people, grow towards the character of God. How do we grow towards perfection? Is it just by trying harder? Is it just by working really, really hard? Is it by having a lot of accountability partners in our lives? How do we grow into God's likeness? How do we grow into His perfection? And that's what Paul is going to show us today, and it is wonderful. The first thing that Paul shows us, how we might grow into the fullness of God, is by having a foundation of love. Look with me in verse 17, second half, he says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, now Paul uses a, a, a double metaphor here: one is an agricultural metaphor, one is an architectural Metaphor, but what he is making a metaphor of, what he is trying to illustrate, is not what you should do. He's not saying this is something that you as a Christian need to work really hard at. What he's telling us is what God has done for those in Christ. What God has done for you, to you, and in you. And so he uses these metaphors to explain that. First, he says, We are rooted, or as Jason says, rooted, right? We are rooted in Christ. Rooted. We are rooted in the love of Christ. Literally it means that we are caused to strike root, to be established, to be thoroughly grounded in the love of God. Every year for Mother's Day, we get Trish, me and the kids get Trish, a gift card to the local nursery. And uh, we purchase it, and she'll go, and she'll take it, and she'll purchase some plants there. Uh, our first year up here from Missouri, we did seeds and found out that the growing season is way too short for that. So we will, we will buy plants, uh, little plants, and we'll take them out, and Trish will go to the garden, and she'll, she'll dig up a hole. And as she digs up the hole, she'll take the plant out and she'll set it in the hole and then she'll take the leftover dirt and surround it. And then we'll water it and we'll watch it grow. This is a picture that God has given to us. God is the divine gardener that plants you in His love. God buries you in His love through Jesus Christ. And so we are rooted in love to grow. He also says that we are established. This is an architectural term uh, talking about the foundation of a building. Most of you, I'm sure, have seen the Sears Tower at one time or another, the Colossus that's in Chicago. They started the the construction of it by digging a 100-foot hole in the middle of Chicago and filled it with concrete and other things that I can't pronounce. But they they built this solid foundation and they attached the entire structure to it so that it could grow. And what Paul is telling us is that we have been established on the solid foundation of Christ's love for us. And it is out of Christ's love, it is out of the soil of Christ's love for us that we grow, that we build into the fullness of God into the measure of all the fullness of God. And so he lays for us this foundation of what God has done for us, that He has buried us in our love, in, in His love, to absorb the nutrients of His love to grow and to flourish and to bear fruit. He goes on to talk about knowing this love, knowing the love of Christ. More specifically, the expansive love of Christ. Look with me, second half of verse 17 again. We'll start there. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with All the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let's take a moment just to dig into those different dimensions that he's described here. How wide is the love of Christ? What is the width of the love of Christ? The love of Christ is as wide as his church, it is as wide as all who place their trust in Jesus Christ. There is room for all to come. And to feel the love of Christ. To be buried in His love. Revelation 7-9 puts it this way. It says, uh, when John is taken up into heaven, he observes this and he says, And this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He says, there are so many people I cannot even count. The church is wide. It is wide enough for you. The love of God is wide enough for you. That is the width of the love of Christ. What is the length of the love of Christ? The love of Christ is, goes for all eternity. We will actually sing a song here in a little bit, many of you know, called Amazing Grace. And in the last line of it, it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun... We have no less days, none, no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That is an amazing statement that for all eternity we will sing the praises of God because Christ's love lasts. For all eternity. Now, this is such good news to us because we don't need to sit and wonder, will Jesus love me tomorrow? Will He love me in a month and a year? Will Jesus love me when I'm old and my mind is going? Will He still love me then? Yes, His love, his love is long as eternity. What is the height of the love of Christ? Now, this one. I'll admit is a little more confusing, confusing, but uh, if you remember back in Ephesians two, uh, a few months ago, we looked at it, and it says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show us the immeasurable riches. Of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so, what he tells us is something that really is somewhat beyond comprehension, but he raises us up with Christ in the heavenly realms to show us the glorious riches of his love. And we rule and reign with Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And so, that is the height, the length, and the width. Of the love of Christ. Now, if you have ever done any carpentry, or if you have ever measured a mattress or measured anything, you would probably think Paul's analogy would be done, right? When you measure a board, what do you measure? You measure the length, you measure the width, and you measure the height. It's 2 by 4 by 8 feet, right? Paul does not stop his analogy there. And it is glorious that He does it. It is probably the most comforting of all the dimensions that He shares with us. Read along with me, verse 18. May That we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I am so thankful for the depth of the love of Christ that reaches deeper than my deepest sin. When I was in college, I was in a fraternity house, and me and some other guys in the fraternity house who were Christians decided that we would make this cross out of a wire, and we put a string around it. It kind of looked cool. and So we we put that on, and as we were wearing that, we made a decision that if we were going to willfully disobey God, if we were going to go do something like go to the bars when we're under 21, or or get drunk or anything like that, that we're going to take the cross off and hang it on our bed. And uh, the crosses turned into uh, wall hangings more than we'd like to admit. But one of the guys, I'll just call him Joe, came to me and he was overburdened by his sin one day. Overburdened by how often he didn't realize how often he actually rejects God on a daily basis. Constantly taking the cross off and on, off and on, off and on. And he came to me, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, he said, you know, every time we sin against God, It's like we are spitting in the face of Jesus on His way to the cross. Every time we sin against God, we sin against Christ, it's like pounding the nails further into the cross and saying, I do not want you as my Savior. I do not love you. I have a greater love in my life. And while I think Joe's analogy and assessment is true, the story does not end there. At the cross, Jesus looked up to heaven after all these people have betrayed Him, after all these people have pursued other saviors, and He says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is how deep the love of Christ is. He forgives even our worst, most shameful sins, and He pays for all our sins, past, present, and future if you place your trust in Him. It was because of Jesus' deep love for us that He went to the cross and died to endure the wrath of God so that we would not have to endure the wrath of God, but we could experience His love that is wide and long and high and deep. Now, some of you are are here probably saying, Dan, you don't know what my history is like. You don't know what a horrible person I have been. You don't know how many second and third and fourth and hundredth chances God has given me. You don't understand my habitual sin in my life. You don't understand how horrible I am. There is no possible way that the love of Christ could possibly be deep enough for me. And I think that's exactly why Paul writes this next sentence. That to be honest with you, makes no sense to one degree. It's kind of gibberish. But I think it's for those of you who do not believe that God's love is deep enough for you. Read along with me. Let's start in verse 18. That you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then here it is. Such a funny statement. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul says... I want you to know something that you cannot know. (laughs) It's like here, I want you to eat something you can't eat it. What does he mean? I want you to know this love that you cannot know. What could he possibly mean by that? What Paul is saying is I want you to go to the source of love. And no matter how many times you go back to it, you will never scratch the surface of the depth of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. You will never plumb the depths of it. And so even today, as we are encouraged by the love of God for us through Jesus Christ, we have taken our teacup, and we have gone to the ocean of God's expansive love, and we have filled that teacup of our hearts up, and we have thought, ah... Satisfying. God's love is so amazing. But you have not yet started to empty the ocean of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. So he says, know this love that is unknowable. You can never possibly comprehend all that is there. I have two questions for you. The first is this. Have you ever known the deep The love of Jesus. Have you ever known it? Because it is glorious. It is far better than any love you can find in this world. From a spouse, from a parent, from a sibling, from a best friend. It is far deeper, far wider, far longer, and far higher than any other love that is out there. I'd encourage you, if you have never... Felt the deep love of Jesus today to trust in Christ, that He has died for your sins, and that He loves you, even likes you. Trust in Christ. My second question is this. If you're here today, and you have known this deep, deep love of Jesus, Are you still going to His love to fill your cup? Are you still going to His love to get the nourishment for your roots to grow? Or have you resorted back to your own hard work, begrudging submission to get better for God? Have you gone to puddles that are murky, that run out? Puddles that this world gives to us, like riches and success and things like that, to, to fill your heart because it always runs dry. Go to the love of Christ. Go to the love of Christ. Never stop going back to the love of Christ. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I just want to end with this uh, question from Tina Turner. I think it's from Tina Turner. The great theologian, Tina Turner. (laughs) What's love got to do with (laughs) it? Is that Tina Turner? Yeah. All right. What's love got to do with it? No more singing. I left my mic on one time, and I never stopped hearing about it. It's pleasing to God, right? That's all that matters. What's love got to do it? Do with it. What does the love of Christ have to do with us being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? How does Christ's love make us grow into the image of God? To grow in Godliness? How could that be? Let me give you this illustration. Maybe it will help us understand it. When I was in college, I had a motorcycle. And I loved riding motorcycles. I bought it one day. My mom was upset with me. I didn't care. I loved riding motorcycles. I loved the speed. I loved that you could look around. There was no, you know, car frame around you. You It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was cheap on gas. It was cool. There was even some danger in it, which I liked, you know. Uh, there's, there's, I always say there's no such thing as a small accident with a motorcycle, right? And if you're on the highway and you get in an accident, really doesn't matter whose fault it is, right? So anyways, I love to ride motorcycles, but in my heart, it was replaced with a higher love. In my heart, it was replaced with my wife, Trish. And she came along, and I took my motorcycle and I sold it. And I took the money and I, I paid for an engagement ring because my heart had a higher love in its heart. See, it's not that we need to love the things of this world less, it's not. Is that we need to love the love of Christ more. That it needs to be supreme in our hearts. If there is sin in your life that you're struggling with, which means all of you, if there's sin in your life that you're struggling with, it's not because you need to love it less. It's because you need to love Christ more. You need His love to be supreme in your heart. Because the love of Christ is wider than anything this world can give you. The love of Christ is higher than anything this world can give you. The love of Christ is longer than anything this world can give you. And the love of Christ is deeper than anything you could even hope for. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you love us through Jesus Christ. We. Confess that we do not deserve it, and that's easy and plain to see, God. Lord, we pray that you would continue to make known to us your love through Christ Jesus, that we would delight in that above all else, God. That your love would be supreme in our heart, even above our love to sin, God. And that we would grow into the full measure of God. Because of your love in us. Help us. To go back to the ocean of love, of love filling our hearts time again, that so we might live for you, for your glory, for our We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.